0: This is a one and all media podcast. Today, today,
1: today, today with Jeff Finds, We are taking the gospel to the world.
0: Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher.
1: Bringing people far from God, near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Passion connecting every one person to all that god has promised them
0: you make me a wonder and say with every single breath i breathe I will going break this open you are my wonder you with the wonder today today today, today. today with jeff fines Welcome back to Today with Jeff Finds My name's Aaron, and in this episode, we're continuing Pastor Jeff's message on courageous love. He's in the book of Ruth, and we're looking at the story of Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, and Boaz, the kinsman redeemer who ensures they were safe in Bethlehem. Ruth loved Naomi, but she also trusted Naomi's God, Yahweh. This is the second half of this message, and if you missed the first part, you can find it by searching for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to your podcasts. Here's Pastor Jeff now with the rest of the message.
1: Now, the truth is, the name of this book, though, is not the book of Boaz. The name of the book is the book of Ruth. Now, go back for a moment. Why did Ruth come with Naomi? Naomi tried to get Ruth to turn back. Said Ruth, you could have a husband there. You could raise a family there. You could gain an inheritance. In Moab, you've got a fighting chance. If you come to me and with me, you're probably going to have nothing. Ruth's response to her mother in law is Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where will I go? Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people are going to be my people. Your God, my God. Now, there's two amazing things here. Ruth is saying, I'm coming with you. And I expect a worse life. That's how much she loves her mother-in-law, Naomi. She offers a sacrificial love. And here's why we're told in verse 16 to 17, she saw something in Naomi's God. May the Lord, and she uses the relational covenant name, not the generic name for God, not Elohim, but Yahweh. May, May Yahweh, the God of relationship, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. Ruth says, Naomi, I've seen something in you that inspires me. I cannot turn back now. There's something about your God and your people. Rescue me out of the hellhole of Moab. Now, I want you to understand the choices that she has. Ruth says to herself, you know what? I can stay in Moab, have my physical needs met, gain material wealth and stability, but most probably lose my soul. See, she's not living in denial. She knows that her people and her culture have a demonic Dramatic negative impact on her. Because she has seen the good in Naomi's God, she recognizes the evil in Moab. And she's well aware that the evil is too strong in Moab and that her resistance is too weak. So she can either stay in Moab and perhaps physically survive, but spiritually speaking, she will be annihilated, or she can leave Moab and lose material wealth and a family name and a husband, but ultimately save her soul. Now, Can I say to you, some of you have got to get out of Moab. You have got to get out. What are you doing? This club that you're in, this relationship that you're in, this job that you're in, this career that you're in, this pursuit, this thing that you're after. Yeah, okay, it's feeding you. You're making some money. There's monetary gain. You're gaining influence. Your peers are looking up to you, but the cost is too great. You're losing your soul run away. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? This crowd you're involved with, this thing that you've got, you don't got it. It's got you and it's destroying you. You know, you're not strong enough. The temptations and in lure is too great. You're too weak. And there's only one possible solution. You got to run. You got to get out of Moab. Faith and status are two things Christians have had to choose between since Christ gave up his status in heaven to come to earth to save us. So, okay, yeah, you're getting a little extra money. Yeah, it's meeting some kind of need of yours. But ultimately, you're killing yourself. The disintegration of your soul. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to make your mind up. What are you going to ultimately live for? And you're not strong enough to stay in Moab. Get out. Get out before it's too late. Before you quench the fire of the spirit, you can't even feel the conviction of God. And it sucks the life right out of you. But there's more. Go back to Ruth. She knows that if she goes with Naomi, there's a chance that Naomi will not die. But if Ruth does not leave Moab and the comfort of her own home and the chance of having a family, then Naomi will certainly perish. If Naomi's going to have a life, Ruth will have to lose her. If Naomi is going to have a name, a land, and a progeny, Ruth will have to give hers up. Ruth will have to give up her own name, her wealth, her family. If Naomi is to ever have a chance at survival and a chance to really live, that's what Ruth does. Which leads me to believe that if you ever hope to save someone, you've got to lose something. If you really hope to save someone, including yourself, you've got to lose something. We talk around here about our one life, helping people far from God come near. And if you ever hope to bring one life who's far from God, near to God, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time, sometimes money. It's going to cost you something, sometimes to bear their burdens. But There's always a cost. That's why Ruth impoverishes herself so that Naomi can become rich. Ruth loses herself that Naomi might find herself. Ruth suffers outside the gate so that Naomi can be welcomed back in. Ruth becomes an alien and a stranger in an unknown land so that Naomi can find her ultimate home. Naomi has been redeemed. Now, can you see any pattern yet? Have you seen it yet? Boaz, the bridegroom, he marries Naomi and his wealth becomes hers. He pays her debt and offers her new life. Does that sound like anybody else? And then there's Ruth, the suffering servant. She goes outside the gate. She leaves her home. She becomes an alien, marginalized, so that Naomi can be found and restored. Does that sound like anybody? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. But then, the real point of the story and the narrative is in chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, that you've been waiting for a while. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Really? A daughter-in-law can be better than seven sons? How's that possible? Well, seven sons represents the perfect family. Seven sons to give you a family and a hope and a future and property and land and labor and heirs. So the Bible's saying at a very, very uh, appropriate time that there's something that comes into a person's life that is more satisfying, more fulfilling, more transforming than the perfect family. Something that is more precious than family and wealth and status, more valuable than the perfect relationship, perfect career, perfect social group. Something that will give an internal peace that far exceeds any external wealth. There's going one day to be the ultimate kinsman redeemer and he's going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And There is an amazing similarity between the Redeemer that will come and the ancient family of Ruth and Boaz. Like Ruth, he will leave his father's home and throne above to go to a foreign land expecting things to be worse. Like Boaz, he'll not only pay your debt, he reaches out and unites with you so that all his wealth becomes yours. Like Boaz, he's your flesh and blood, your kinsman redeemer, the firstborn among many brethren. Like Ruth, he loves you and pursues you to the degree that he refuses to allow even death to separate the two of you. Who is he? Jesus. Born in the city of David, the grandson of Obed, the son of Ruth and Boaz, the kinsman redeemer of Naomi. Now, now, you you did the hard work, so let's chat just a second. You know down deep inside that God exists. You know that He does. When I was in the UK doing radio interviews, somebody suggested I read a book, How Nothing Rolled Over Into Something. Don't bother. You can say what you want and talk as long as you want, but no matter how smart a scientist you are, you're never going to be able to explain how something can come from nothing, no matter how hard you try. Down deep inside, you know there is a beginner. Now, just because you know that God exists doesn't mean you know what he's like. See, that's the point. What is God like? Okay, God exists, but what is he like? And the only way you're going to know what God is like is if he's chosen to reveal himself. That is the ultimate question. Has God chosen to reveal himself? I was reading another book written by Hindu in India, and it was written by a lawyer, a politician. It was well-written, so I picked it up. I thought, I'm going to read this. And I got into the early lines of the book, and he says, I'm happy to describe myself as Hindu for a string of reasons, though faith requires no reason. That is not the message of Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody enters the Father, enters the relationship with the Father except through me. And then he says, you need to test me in this. Where does the evidence point? Does the evidence point that God exists and he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes, through the historicity of the resurrection. That's an entirely new sermon. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have validated this by my resurrection. Nobody else came back from the dead. Kind of, if you do that, you kind of have a voice. But then the rest of Scripture is to reveal to you what God is like. I delight greatly in the Lord, says Isaiah. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. So to become a Christian is to say, there is one who truly went outside the gate for me. There is one who descended into greatness. There is one who truly became alien, cosmically alien, the God of heaven born in a manger. There is one who is my go-well, my kinsman redeemer. He bought and paid my debts. He made me an heir of all his riches. He gave me a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Jesus Christ did not merely say, I'm going to throw my life away so that you can have yours. He says, no, I'm not going to allow even death itself to separate us. I will die so that I will never be separated from you. I will separate from my father before I separate from you. And here's the clincher, folks. It all comes down to this one statement. Only when you see Jesus for who he truly is, will you leave Moab behind. Until then, you're not going to do it. You're going to have one foot in both worlds. Only when you truly see that God is revealing himself in Christ as your kinsman redeemer and you begin to understand what God really has done for you and what God is truly like, will you ever trust him enough to come all the way out of Moab into the land of promise? And the reason that some of you have one foot in both worlds is because you've never really left what has been familiar to you. And the sad thing is, if you know anything about this story, Naomi and Ruth experienced far more than they ever thought possible. And that's what God calls each of you to do. Only when you see Jesus for who he truly is, will you leave this life behind expecting things to be worse. I mean, if I become a Christian, there's this conviction and life change that has to happen. But what you don't understand is when you engage in that, You think you're going to get a worse life, you end up getting a far better life than you ever hoped, dreamt, or imagined. And when you're truly living for Christ and you've left Moab and come into the new land, everything you have, all of his wealth has become yours. And you know you're a citizen of a kingdom that will never perish or be shaken. And you've got to trust the apostle Paul's words when he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Naomi, by trusting God, experienced more wealth than she ever thought possible. And I'm telling you, there are things in your life that you're holding on to because you don't trust God's way and you don't trust his precepts. And those things are disintegrating your soul. And until you get completely out of Moab and trust God's precepts with the way you should be living your life, you want a good life. He's trying to give you a great one. You have to decide. Only when you see Jesus for who he truly is, will you leave the life you had expecting things to be worse but experiencing a far better life than you ever imagined. Do you see that the whole Bible is written to tell you there's more? To tell you that you want to know who God is? The whole Bible, it's not just the gospel of Matthew. It's the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation to show you this is what God is like. He is your kinsman redeemer. He rescued you out of the land of Moab. He's covered you with his love and protection. He's left his home and stepped in a land far worse than you could ever imagine to give you a life far greater than you could ever imagine, which means you can trust him. So what the Bible's trying to tell you, Story. you can trust him. His way is the best way. And even though you're afraid that you commit this part of your life to him, you're scared. If you move forward in faith, you will actually bring life and vitality into your life of which you've never hoped or dreamed. I want, to give you, I want to give you an illustration of this. And I've told the story before. So I'm going to tell you the short version. I don't care what anybody tells me. When I, even when I was 13 or 14, I heard the voice of God. It wasn't audible, but God was working in me at a very young age. A lot of that has to do with because my mother read the Bible to me from the time I was like four years old. I could, I could recognize and I can tell you my first real girlfriend, when I first laid eyes on her, I'm telling you, God's saying, nope, not the one, not the one. But she, but she was so pretty. But I knew it. I'm telling you, I knew God said, no, this is not the one. Now, just to show you how he tried to get my attention early in the game, when I first met her, we locked eyes at a basketball game. There were about 4,000 people in the stands and it was East Tennessee State University's first game of the year. And I'd gone out to get popcorn and Coke and I was carrying this tray back in and we locked eyes and I recognize her look and every guy knows it. It's the look I'm interested in you. We don't get it very often in life. So when it does come, (laughs) we, we, we are familiar. And so I'm looking over there and she's looking at me and I kind of lose, you know, when you're that age and the hormones are flying, I kind of lost sight of what I was doing. And by the time I realized where I was, I was actually on the basketball court at the free throw line. And I was still looking at her walking away. And the, there was a striped shirt. That's the last thing I saw in my peripheral vision. And it was the uh, the shirt of the official who was running down with his head turned to get ahead of the play. And he, we we collided uh, and there was a cloud of popcorn and Coke went up in the air and 4,000 people on their feet laughing at me. Uh, and I, I gained a nickname that day that I will never tell you. And I never have, and I never will. But the point I'm making is could there have been a bigger sign from God? This is not the one God, let me show you the death and devastation. Let's just, let me give you an example right now, but I didn't listen. And we dated, we dated for four years. And I can honestly tell you that all those four years, God was saying, not the one, not the one, not the one, not the one. But, 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 but her father was wealthy and he let me drive his red Corvette and he would actually give me money to take her out on dates. I mean, that's a lot to give up. And I got to a point in my life where I knew I was at a crossroads because I felt a strong call into the ministry. And I knew that if I told her I was going into ministry, that would be the end of our relationship because her parents had handpicked me for her and they wanted nothing to do with that because that would mean maybe a life of poverty. I think, what would have happened if I ignored the voice of God and married this lady? She's been divorced four times now. Not, not, that, not that divorce is the unforgivable sin. It's just, I'm telling you, she has a hard time maintaining relationships. That's kind of hard if you're in ministry. And, but you know what I really think about? I love my wife. I would... I mean, it's like God said, leave Moab. And just so you know, she was Moab. And then my wife's over in the promised land. What ha- would have happened if I would have married Moab? I would have never met the promised land. I, and I just can't imagine my life going down a different road. But it could have so easily. It was so close. God constantly tries to get you to come out. Get out of there. You want something good. and you, It might be good, but I, want, I got something great. In any area of your life, sex, money, power, position, relationships, everything, he keeps saying, and you, when things happen, bad things happen, you say, God, why have you abandoned me? And I, and God would say to you, I haven't abandoned you. I'm right involved in this baby. That's me shaking your world. That's me exploding the popcorn. (laughs) Listen, I'm trying to save you. See, the problem is that if you're at an airport and you've got three pieces of luggage and you take two and you check them in, you take one, you keep it with you and you have a coffee and you look down and the one you didn't check is gone. Somebody took it. You can't go back to the airlines and say, hey, you're responsible for my suitcase. They would say, no, we're only responsible for what you committed to us. And I'm telling you that God is only responsible to what you've ultimately committed to him. You choose to live your own way in this area of your life. How dare you expect God to reach down and bless you? As I've said before, he's not an enabler. He only is responsible for what you commit to him. Get out of Moab, whatever it is. Whatever it is, get out. And things may be going well now, but it will cause the disintegration of your soul. And even if they're good now, there's something so much better that God has for you. I want to bring this to an end. Stay with me here for a moment. My friend, Tony Bennett, who coaches Virginia, Now, my friend Tony Bennett, we've gotten close over the last 10 years and we'll text each other from time to time, especially if we've read something in our devotional that inspires. so Tony sent me this text last week before the Duke game and it started out, the first part of the text was simply what he had read. He said, Jeff, I read this, for Jesus, identity and acceptance come before achievement and ministry. This is a joy no one can take away. You cannot earn the acceptance of God. And then he starts to write a little note to me. And he says, you know, Jeff, when Jesus came out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He said, then the devil took him out in the desert and kept saying, prove it. Prove that God loves you. Prove he loves you. And he said, did the same thing on the Mount of Transfiguration before Jesus was to endure the cross. And then Tony says to me in a text, talk about affirming your identity and being accepted by the Father. This really spoke to me. I wanted to share it with you. Obviously, you've achieved so much in your life and career. But for both of us, to know we are children of God and unconditionally loved and accepted in Christ is the absolute ultimate. Hope you're well, Jeff. Pastors are guilty too, man. If we, and I've said this, if we start trying to get our significance out of how big our church is, if we try to get our value out of success in the eyes of the world, We will die a slow and painful death because it'll never be good enough. But if your significance is in Christ, if I really give him my worth, you know what you get? Incredible peace. Whatever you've not given to God, what do you need to entrust to his care by trusting his precepts and provision? Get out of Moab. Have I shown you Jesus this weekend? Your kinsman redeemer? He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. He's light in the darkness waiting for you to step in. And I'm begging you as best I can. I love you, whatever you do. I do. And that's the beauty of it. I really do love you no matter what you do. (laughs) Because God loves me no matter what I've done or do. But as somebody who loves you, you want a good life. He wants to give you a great one, but you've got to get out. And until you do, There's this constant battle between vitality and growth and the disintegration of your soul. Father, thank you that Christ is our kinsman redeemer, that he has saved us, redeemed us. Not only has he taken us out of a land of sorrow, but he's taken us into a land that has far greater worth than we could ever hope for or imagine. He has paid our debt. He has united himself with us so that we are the heirs of all of his wealth and riches. That everything we're truly looking for, we find in him. And so we pray that in our weaknesses, where we keep going back into the land of Moab, where we have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of man. I pray that our eyes would be open and that we would repent and completely and fully live in the land of our kinsman redeemer who has given us all good things. You are a way maker, a miracle worker, light shining in the darkness, give us the courage to step in. In Christ's name, amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff finds wherever you listen to podcasts.